Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, Bechdel cast listeners. It's me, Caitlin Durante. And me, Jamie Loftus. And uh, we're back for yet another episode of the Bechdel cast. But wait, it's a little different today. <gasps> oh my gosh. We're unlocking one of our Patreon, aka Matreon episodes. Gasp. I know. We do it every so often. And this week, we're doing it for a special little occasion. Tell me more. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Um, so I have a new solo series coming out. It's one of my, one of Jamie's little investigations. Ooh. It does not have a, a ton to do with the, the subject matter of today's movie, which is The Da Vinci Code, which, spoiler alert, is Apple. Uh, but <laughs> in any... <laughs> In any case, uh, no, we're, we're unlocking an episode today uh, because it's an episode about uh, kind of religious conspiracies and uh, esoteric, bizarre shit. And uh, <laughs> that is what my new show is about. It, it's out starting now. It'll be releasing episodes every single Monday. It's called Ghost Church. And what it is is... Um, it's kind of half investigation, half history of a fringe religion in um, that's it's across the West called spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And so what the show is about is it's kind of two tracks. The first is the history of spiritualism, which is really, really fascinating. It's it, it kind of came up in the mid 1800s, uh, beginning with two young girls. Uh, <gasps> wow. Girl boss go off. Just like us. Just the, well, if we were 11 and 14, um, they're very, which very we young. Are. Uh, which okay. we are. Which we are. We had to get permission slips to record this today. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of um, on one side tracks their story. Their names are Maggie and Kate Fox. And they kind of um, accidentally started a religion that is 
built around the concept of being able to communicate with spirit or ghosts and communicating with the dead, um, mm-hmm. which is just like a very roller coastery kind of story that I couldn't possibly summarize for you here. And I won't because you got to go listen to that damn show. That's right. And then on the other end, because the religion is um, still very much around, mostly in uh, small camps throughout the country, two in particular. And I spent a week at one of them uh, in Florida in the Orlando area. I hung out with a bunch of mediums all week to learn more about what the religion looks like now, um, kind of how a uh, how a fringe religion develops over time, um, what brings people to it, and uh, watching people communicate with the dead in real time. It was it was a weird one. It was an adventure, mm-hmm. um, and so I won't. I won't spoil anything else from there. If you're into spiritual stuff, I would recommend you check it out. If you're not into spiritual stuff, I would also recommend you check it out because I'm not trying to really uh, sway anyone one way or another. It's it's more just a very bizarro journey, and I had a lot of fun putting it together. It's a show for everyone. It's for everyone. You think we can talk to ghosts? Well, you better check it out. You don't think we can talk to ghosts? Well, there's plenty of people on the show who feel exactly that way. Me? I don't <laughs> fucking know. It's, it's The more I talk to people, the less I know. Wow. I'm sure there's a folk song about that somewhere, but that is true. <laughs> I, it's, such a, it's such a fascinating topic. Everyone feels strongly one way or another um and i'm just kind of floating in the goo in the middle uh you know trying to trying to not uh, get yelled at by mediums in florida nice which isn't too hard but you'll have to listen to the show in any case that is what we're um celebrating on the show today uh we'll have another episode coming up that will also sort of be addressing this kind of stuff the Da Vinci Code today, this is a little more of like on the like weird religion side of stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I will say for spiritualism is it is nowhere near as fucked up as Christianity. So <laughs> buckle in because, uh, yeah, we recorded this. When did this come out? This came out, I th- believe, sometime on the Matreon last year. Yes, March 2021, I believe. Okay. In that ballpark. And so this, if you're not a Matreon subscriber, this is also a reminder that if you are uh, running thin on episodes on our main free feed, we do two bonus episodes a month with just Caitlin and myself most of the time. Mm-hmm. over on our patreon aka matreon there's over 100 episodes there this is just one of them mm-hmm. we keep it loose do a lot of do a lot of bits i'm sure i shout the da vinci code is apple no less than seven thousand times in this episode <laughs> conservatively yeah so yeah enjoy it and we will be linking to the patreon aka matreon uh if you're interested in joining that community it's such a blast indeed but first Before we get into it, we, over on the Matreon, we assume that everyone uh, knows what the Bechdel test is. Right. And what the show is, because, you know, you're, you're there, you're, you're part, you're in the in crew, you know? Yeah. So we don't waste time being like, oh, here's who we are. Here's what the Bechdel test is. Uh, I love how you're making fun of what we're about to do. (laughs) Oh, like... Uh, but but that said, even though Caitlin thinks it's ridiculous, <laughs> apparently, 
Uh, we are going to do it uh, right now. We are going to tell you that this is our show, The Bechdel Cast, in which we examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens. Oh, hell yeah. Using the Bechdel test simply as a jumping off point. Now, the Bechdel yeah. test, of course, is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test, uh-huh. whereby... Our version, because there are many renditions of the test, but the one that we currently use Mm -hmm. requires that two characters of a marginalized gender have names, speak to each other about something other than a man, and ideally that conversation is narratively meaningful. Yes. So if you've seen The Da Vinci Code, don't hold your breath. But, you know, if you're a Tom Hanks fan, also don't hold your breath. It's not his best. Uh, and with, with, with no further ado, without further, with no, without. Without, without much further ado. Hello? Oh, my God. Without further ado, please enjoy the unlocked Da Vinci Code. It's Apple. <laughs> the Bechdel cast. Welcome back, matrons. Wow. Is this the main event? This is what this entire podcast has been leading up to. (laughs) I am really excited. (laughs) In a way, this movie is all my favorite parts of I, Frankenstein, mixed with all my favorite parts from National Treasure. Mm-hmm. But when all of the fun just sucked out through a straw, (laughs) it's shocking. Uh Uh-huh. This is a a very similar premise, but none of my favorite parts. It's (laughs) it's wild that a movie as toxic as Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is a far more enjoyable movie to watch, for me at least. (sighs) than this suck fest. You didn't have fun watching the Da Vinci Code? <laughs> the Da Vinci, I honestly, it was like such a journey. Mm. It was such a journey because it was like, I started out being like, oh yeah, this movie is just people saying words. This could be fun, right? Because there's that whole, oh my God, the moment where I was like, wait a second, what if this movie fucking rocks is when... <laughs> Tom Hanks is staring at the Mona Lisa and then he just goes, moon, sermons, charms, demons, sermons, monks, ranks, rocks. And I was like, oh, this movie is nonsense. I'm going to love it. But then it gets <laughs> but then it gets really boring for like an hour and a half. Ugh. And then it gets funny again at the end. Like it starts funny and then it's boring for a long time. Mm. And then it gets funny again at the very end where he's like, OK, first of all, matrons. If you were wondering, if you went into the Da Vinci Code thinking, I don't know, I like did not, in spite of the fact that I definitely like interacted with this property at in its heyday, mm-hmm. I did not remember what the Da Vinci Code was. And I was mm. knocked on my, do you know, have you been watching WandaVision? I have not at this time. There's a scene where a character is sent through like, 45 walls in a row Uh, (laughs) and that's how i felt when i found out that the da vinci code is apple and i have (laughs) i have a whole theory to go with okay caitlin Mm -hmm. this episode is going to be chaos by the way (laughs) yeah of course so the da vinci code is apple 
that's i'm in, i'm the fact that that's the funniest thing i've ever heard in my entire life is you've been watching this movie for six hours and then they're like oh the da vinci code was literally apple not apple in latin not apple mm. in any just apple so if you were reading the book which i definitely i read it when i was like 11 maybe and i was like oh i really understand this i did it <laughs> but i you have to imagine once by the time you it's just kind of like aggressively mean towards the reader because you you have to probably find out that the da vinci code is apple on page like 500 mm-hmm. and you're like i i went all this way for this <laughs> the da vinci code is apple here's my theory yes please <laughs> And keep in mind, uh, neither of us have reread the book. And we're not Mm -mm. going to. I thought about it. But guess what? For some reason, on the library app, every copy is checked out. Whoa. It's still... I genuinely was thinking about... I'm like, oh, maybe I'll get, like, the audiobook and, like, fuck around a little. It could be fun. It's it's a waiting list around the corner to get... Even in the year 2021, people are still reading The Da Vinci Code. It's Mm -hmm. shocking. So I don't know. I'm sure stuff is different in the book. If you're yelling at someone about what happens in the Da Vinci Code book versus the movie, you have to move on, right? <laughs> uh-huh. But my theory is, because in the movie, it's one of the funniest scenes in the movie because it's Ian McKellen is literally like, I'm the spy. Like it's full mm. <laughs> Star Wars. He's the spy. Uh, Audrey, I'm just going to call her Amelie the whole episode. Mm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Amelie doesn't know what the Da Vinci Code is because she doesn't know anything the whole movie. Uh And then Tom Hanks is like, I know what the Da Vinci Code is. And you're like, huh? What? How? And then he's like standing and he all of a sudden sees the solar system. It reminds me of that meme where a bunch of math problems happen in front of that lady's face. Um, (laughs) It's that, but it's uh-huh. supposed to be really serious. Yeah. And then he smashes the cryptex. He's he figures yes. out. What, so here's my theory: the Da Vinci Code was not Apple. We never mm. found he. Ne- we never saw him put the code into the oh. cryptex. He broke it and he smashed it. And then he, uh, the Da Vinci Code was not Apple. It was something <laughs> else. It was. So, I like how he just said it so matter of factly, and we're so conditioned to trust like you know, men with bad haircuts and also <laughs> like, you know, professors, right? But sure. there's there was no proof that the Da Vinci Code was Apple. And that's, and honestly, I don't think that Da Vinci was... Which is weird. Was that, <laughs> what? The Da Vinci, my theory is Tom Hanks was dead wrong and we'll never know. We'll never know. Because the movie, too much, I would argue, cuts to flashbacks <laughs> that look like absolute hell they look like shit they look like it's like a really but you can tell it's expensive too but it Mm -hmm. looks like it was edited in like windows movie maker (laughs) yeah they put some weird filter over the flashbacks to like let the audience know don't like don't be confused this didn't happen now this happened before (laughs) but like they look like shit but we didn't there there's just so many scenes there will be a flashback to like to clue the audience in, oh, you weren't sure how this came to be. Here's a flashback to fill in the gaps. But it doesn't do that with it doesn't Robert help. Langdon putting in Apple into the cryptex. So, no, yeah, he just sees the solar system and he's like, ah, it's <laughs> Apple. 
I yeah I maybe in the book it's like definitively he puts it into the cryptex the cryptex goes it opens in the movie I'm gonna say canonically there's no way it was apple that is a ridiculous <laughs> answer everything else happened in this movie in fucking latin and anagrams the an- the da vinci code mm. was not apple a fourth grader could figure that out but that's kind of part of the point that's part of the appeal of the da vinci code is it just like makes you feel really smart but then you're mm. like wait a second i didn't understand a word of that and i'm pretty sure that it's all made up <laughs> but it's good i kind of like this was a kind of an interesting case study for like I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. And I would argue this movie fails at doing it Mm. by trying to like take something super complex that requires this vast knowledge base and make it easy to understand for like the widest audience possible. Yeah. Like I can't think of an example of it, of that going well because when the people in the, it's like this movie (laughs) stops every two seconds to explain to you something that happened 3000 years ago. And then you're like, huh? And then they're like, it's fine. The Da Vinci Code is Apple. Like, they <laughs> they make it sound really hard, but the solutions are like not that hard, and they kind and they like make basically no sense. But no you sense. feel smart because you like Ian McKellen read forty five Wikipedia articles at you <laughs> about how he's a male feminist. Uh, <sighs> this movie is. I was cracking up. <laughs> I was uh, this the beginning and end of this movie. It just really puts you in a really specific time and place because we really were just like sitting in our seats in 2006. It's the fucking Bush administration. And we're like, the Da Vinci Code is Apple. That <laughs> <laughs> like, I would, you couldn't pay me to go back there. Ugh. Okay. What was so, going on? Uh, what is your relationship with the Da Vinci Code, the book, the movie, Dan Brown's oeuvre in general? <laughs> Robert Langdon. First of all, Sonny loves Robert Langdon. Oh, of course Sonny the dog loves uh, Robert Langdon. He's like Robert Langdon, literal genius. Robert <laughs> Langdon should be in the MCU. That's his whole thing. Um <laughs> he thinks that Robert Langdon could really make a killing in the MCU. Wow. My my history with the Da Vinci Code is that I don't know. I mean, I think that I was like just old enough to participate Mm -hmm. and I was really excited because the book came out in 2003 Mm -hmm. so I was like young but like I could read I could read so I thought I could understand everything Uh so I was really excited I remember that there was like a raggedy copy of the Da Vinci Code that made its way across my entire family Mm -hmm. throughout probably 2004 2005 or something yeah I remember I read the whole thing really fast. I read most of it in like a bathtub over the course of like eight hours. And then I got sick because oh, no. you don't sit in a bath for eight hours. That's gross. But I did. Uh-huh. And I just remember feeling really cool that I read the book. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I remember Loki being like, I didn't catch a word of it, but I read every word. And that's what counts. Mm-hmm. And then I did see the movie, but by that point, I think even like for, cause I was like 12 or 13 when the movie came out. And even by then, I think I was like, eh, I already did it. You know, mm-hmm. I was like that, that's so whatever, like sixth grade or what. Um, but then I, I don't know. I, and I also, I learned yeah. because I haven't revisited it since that I retained like 
nothing. All I remembered going in was Fibonacci numbers. Oh. I just remember the phrase. I don't remember what it meant. Okay. But I remember Fibonacci numbers. Mm-hmm. But but it was interesting watching the movie because it was like plot points were slowly coming back to me like it was just a long forgotten sure dream Same. like as I was like oh because like when Ian McKellen came on screen I'm like there's something going on with this guy but I don't remember what and then he's like I'm the spy and you're like right he was the spy I forget uh-huh. sure yeah so that's uh, that's my history what about yours uh, well. I, too, read the book in probably 2003. I was nearing the end of high school at that point, and I was... Did you understand it? Yes. I was old enough to... Nice. (laughs) Yeah. I understood the Da Vinci Code. Genius. Um, And... I'll be honest, you know, this is this is a property that is very easy and popular to dunk on now. Mm -hmm. But if I'm being perfectly honest with myself and others, I fucking loved this book when I first read it as a exciting at the time. I, I remember like the trajectory of it, too. So basically, like it got published word caught on that it was really fun and really good so I I read it all my high school friends read it we were like this is the best book I've ever read then I read Angels and Demons and I loved oh I did read Angels and Demons and I was like because it like this type of story is like very up my alley in terms of just like an adventure quest like let's follow clues and it was like again reminiscent of indiana jones and i was like Mm -hmm. cool fun fun and then i also just appreciate as a lifelong devout atheist i appreciate anything that like criticizes and comments on christianity so i just like felt very cool and i was like oh this is like uh anyway it was exciting So I read the book, read the, those two books. I have not read Inferno. No. But there's apparently a fourth one, also Origin. Oh, oh my From 2017. Goodness. I did. Re- I remember reading Angels and Demons mm-hmm. and then being like, wow, it's so cool to know what Robert Langdon was doing before the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Didn't they make that into a movie too? Yes. And so Inferno is also a movie that came out in 2016. You're lying. I'm telling oh, the wow. truth. Tom Tom Hanks is in it? <laughs> yes. As is, I think it's Zoe Deschanel, but I truly only looked at one still image of the movie, and I don't know if that's who it is or not. That's so bold, because it's like, <laughs> who is, who cares? Mm-hmm. Anyway. So anyway, so I had read those books, and by the time the movie came out, I was in college, uh-huh. and I went to go see it in theaters I remember like my enthusiasm for the books had definitely waned by that point but I was excited enough that I still like went to go see the movie opening night Whoa. and then the movie was such a turd that I was like oh you hated it yeah I was like this is bad <laughs> like I could like I still probably enjoyed myself and like because I was I went with friends and we were like we a night out on the town but um I knew then that the like the dialogue especially was just like clunky I hated Tom Hanks as Robert Langdon I don't know who I thought Robert Langdon should have been played by but definitely not Tom <laughs> Hanks I was picturing someone a little more young <laughs> I don't know I just didn't I forget how old Robert Langdon was but I like the book 
I don't know if the book wants you to kind of have a crush on him, but like as an 11 year old, I'm like, wow, he's so cool and so smart. Like mm. you picture kind of like a, a, a movie, maybe Tom Hanks 10 years before this movie came out. Maybe. With a different haircut. With a different, what I, the the, hair. his haircut is so distracting that I like, I don't even know what the movie's about. I just was looking at this terrible haircut the entire time. Do you remember, um, <laughs> do you remember if in the book, The Da Vinci Code, <laughs> Is there a romance in the book or is it also scaled back? Because I was like, are they scaling it back in the movie because the age gap is so icky or like what's going on? If I'm remembering correctly, and this is, again, strictly from my memory bank, so I might be wrong about this, but Mm -hmm. there is no romance in the book between Sophie and Robert Langdon in The Da Vinci Code. However, in the movie, I feel like they want you to want it. <laughs> but they, they don't yeah. want it. But, but I think there is a like romance and like I think even Robert Langdon has sex with like the f- female lead of the book of Angels and Demons. I've not seen the movie Angels and Demons. I don't know if they include that or not or if even I'm remembering this correctly but I remember being like oh wow Robert Langdon fucks because he like fucks the lady I remember him being like a sex maybe that's why I was thrown by it being like Woody because that would have been like I'm like (laughs) why is Woody playing like this character I was told was like this kind of like low-key intellectual sex god Mm. like that's not what he's serving me in this movie and and I feel like okay of this I think that you are like you are supposed to think that you want them to kiss at the end and then they don't right like that scene was so (laughs) it was so icky because it was like even in 2006 nobody wants that like Mm. nobody wanted Woody to kiss Amelie like no 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 (laughs) that's gross but there's Mm. like there's that like there's like a few moments where I'm like I think they want me to want this to happen where like when Robert Langdon goes, I never knew a girl who knew that much about, about a, cryptex. a cryptex. And I'm like, no, gross, get away from her. And then that part at the end where they like hug for a weird amount of time and then he kisses her forehead and mm-hmm. you're like, ugh, creepy uncle energy. Don't like it. <laughs> ugh. Uh, well, should we, I guess we should just get into it. Also, happy Alfred Molina month on the Patreon. (laughs) Alfred Marchalina, Molina March, welcome. He's playing, is his character Italian? What is his character? I think his character is from Spain, but I am not certain. Wow, that would actually be Alfred Molina canon. Because, yeah, he he is speaking, uh, well, he's speaking Latin a lot of the time, but he's also, I believe, speaking in Spanish to Silas on different occasions. Yes. Oh, yes, he is. But I also, I cannot detect a Spanish accent from an Italian accent as... um, an uncultured American, so I don't really know. Here's how. Here's how simple my my understanding of the Catholic Church is. I was like, oh, well, uh, the Pope lives in Italy, so he's Italian. <laughs> I mean that that I I see your logic. I'm probably wrong, but yeah, I th- I th- I think he's from Spain? Question mark. Wait, what is your like? Okay, I know that you're an atheist now, but were you raised Catholic? At any no, point? I was I was raised an atheist. You were raised atheist. Yeah. Okay, because I was like baptized Catholic, but then we immediately went to like a different 
flavor of Christianity. And then mm-hmm. when I was 11, my mom was like, man, this is boring and toxic. <laughs> so my like most of my family is Catholic because they're from Massachusetts and mm-hmm. that's like the law. Sure. And but I feel like, yeah, I only I only understand I don't understand the ins and outs of Catholicism like canonically. I just understand the negative traits it brings out in New England families. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, I know very little about the mythology, if you will, of Christianity. Like, I know the main Bible stories that most people know, but beyond that, I know very little. I mean, I kind of appreciate that this movie, do- like, you are you don't need to know that much to watch this movie. They're going to tell you everything. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is Jesus. And you're like... <laughs> Thank cool, you. Cool, 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 cool. Thank you. I'm with you. And then, and then, literally the most iconic movie speech. I don't know why it's not on an AFI list. Moon sermons, charms, demons, sermons, monks, rank, rocks, Madonna of the rocks, Madonna of the Da rocks? Vinci, and that's how this. <laughs> I was like, this is genius. This is genius dialogue. Oh, the dialogue sucks so bad and its delivery is terrible <laughs> Ugh, what a mess i don't know what it is like because ron howard has made very Good enjoyable movies. movies i like ron howard he made the grinch <laughs> i yeah i mean it's like i i don't think he's a bad but this is like oh boy the way people are talking to each other is like so it just sounds like they're not even in the same room like the conversations feel so like distant i don't know what it is i've never in my life seen such expository dialogue in every single line of dialogue it's just like i mean i i am very pro like don't talk down to your audience but if you want this to be like this is just like a really difficult it's a it's too dense to i feel like fit into like a fun movie like it's just just too much Mm -hmm. you have to you have to stop and explain things every two seconds and then that's just most of the movie Right. Yeah. Whatever they tried. The Da Vinci Code was literally Apple, so it turns out none of it mattered. I can't get over it. I find it interesting that you're you're like isolating the Da Vinci Code into that one particular code that you punch into the cryptex. To me, the Da Vinci Code is like it's a feeling. It's a sensation. It's the whole experience. It's the roller coaster ride that is the whole movie. Oh, I thought it was <laughs> silly me. I thought it was the code you put into the Da Vinci thing. To, no, that's wrong. Yes. <laughs> you fool. <They're, laughs> I don't know what, or the Da Vinci code. The Da Vinci code was either Apple or women. <laughs> Unclear to me. Oh my what. God. I can't wait to talk about this. This movie is so male feminist. Like, it's like, we were talking about this at, in our last episode of just like, the most like it's like when a guy's like oh i'm ex- i'm such a male feminist and then they just explain what feminism is to you for two mm. and a half hours and then you're like wait i haven't talked yet and he's like yeah i respect you so much but <laughs> i don't even want to know a thing about you like i just it's so exhausting mm. the fact that there are so many like opportunities to bring sophie into the narrative and bring her expertise into the narrative constantly and then she's literally a cryptologist not that you'd know based on how many codes she solves (laughs) 
like and then just ian mckellen shows up he's like oh actually i know everything that it would Mm -hmm. be way more interesting if the if the only woman in the story knew yes but let's just tell her let's just tell her what's going on and then she goes wait that can't be like that's everything Mm. she says wait that can't be and it's like you're jesus's niece get used (laughs) to it lady there and then she's like well i don't know any of this stuff because i hate history and then tom hanks that goes, was funny yeah you, you hate history what what do you mean no one hates history they hate their own histories and it's just like robert langdon what are you shut up that's a really annoying thing for robert langdon to say but also i would argue that's a really like bizarre thing for so like who's like i hate history like that is such a broad concept to hate you're like you've hated everything that's ever happened ever <laughs> like what do you mean what do you mean when you say that she's like i hate history i hate everything <laughs> that's ever happened is i just hate it I'm like well i don't know what to tell you oh my god i will i will I'm just laughing, laughing, laughing this whole movie. It makes no sense. Also, the character names are so silly. T-Bing, Aringa Rosa. You're just like, I'm sure it's all, I'm like, maybe it means, oh, here's something fun. Uh, This was, okay, so when I was like younger, like probably more like high Mm school-y, I used to love when like famous writers would give information on like this is my writing routine and like this is how I write and I used to like look up whatever I would love stories like that Mm -hmm. and Dan Brown has done this several times I guess he most recently did it a couple years ago I'm thinking of something from like 15 years ago but he like discussed his writing routine and it's like so fucked up like (laughs) what is it he wakes up. It sounds like, do you remember when like Mark, what's his name? The evil one from Ted. Mark Wahlberg. Wahlberg. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg released his like workout routine. He's like, I wake up at 3 a.m. and scream. Like it's like scary. Uh-huh. Dan Brown is like that, but for writing shitty books about Robert Langdon. Like mm-hmm. he's he wakes up at 4 a.m. and drinks like a spinach milkshake. Mm-hmm. And then he writes for like 15 hours. <laughs> and then he's like, and then I whatever, like give my son a encouraging pat on the back and go right to bed. Almost <laughs> like you sound <laughs> You sound like the worst. He just sounds like he's horrible. <sighs> oh, well, he has a master class. We should watch it. We should. He just seems like such a like snobby jerk. I think he think. I mean, he probably thinks he's Robert Langdon. I bet. I yeah. <sighs> well, shall we? Uh, I need to get some wine. Yeah, go get some wine. <laughs> fill, um, fill your chalice, and by that I mean your womb. My chalice, oh my god, wine, and drink your womb wine out of your vagina, because that's what this movie's about. Because woman is mother. <laughs> okay, I'll be right back. Okay. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. 
And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Okay, I'm here. All right, welcome back. I'm going to do the recap. I am going to uh, skip over a lot of details because there are just too many things. And I'm going to flash back and (laughs) say exactly what happened and be like, it has to do with Constantine. Actually, Constantine was a pagan. And I'm just like, shut up. Shut up. I, I very, it's like, I feel like it speaks to this movie's exhausting nature that I never want Ian McKellen to shut up. But in this movie, mm. I really wanted him to shut up constantly. <laughs> yeah. It's like stop talking. But not as much as I wanted Tom Hanks to shut up. I know it's really taking like <laughs> icons that are pretty like culturally untouchable at the mm-hmm. time of this recording. Right. And makes you just like absolutely despise hearing their voice. <laughs> it's yes. remarkable. So, yeah, I skip over a lot of things in, in the recap, uh, so it might not make any sense, but I I did my best. So, the movie opens in the Louvre. Louvre. <laughs> oh, my God. The closing shot of this movie at the Louvre. Speak, okay. This movie, much like Ralph Breaks the Internet, except this movie is horrible, and it's I would say that this movie is, like, almost camp. It's so bad. Mm-hmm. Like... This movie ends 45 different times, but the 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 final ending is the funniest one where Robert Langdon runs back to the Louvre and like <laughs> kneels on the Louvre. Like it's 
Oh boy. It's remarkable. It's perfect. <laughs> okay, so we're in the Louvre and there's a monk named Silas played by Paul Bettany mm-hmm. and he is trying to get some information from Sonier. Uh, this man who, I don't know if he's a curator there. I don't know. He's in the Louvre. And the monk gets the information and then shoots Sonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we cut to Robert Langdon, played by Tom Hanks, of course. And he is a professor of religious symbology, giving a presentation in Paris. And then he is approached by the French FBI, and they want to talk to Langdon. The French BI, if you will. The French... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the yes. French Bureau of Investigations. <laughs> they want to talk to Langdon about the murder that we just saw take place. Then we cut back to Silas, the monk. He is talking on the phone with someone who he calls teacher. And guess who else is talking on the phone in a different scene with boop, boop, the boop, teacher? Boop, boop, boop. It's Alfred Molina, and he's doing an accent, and we don't know what the (laughs) accent is. I love to see him in his Catholic hat. Mm. It's, I mean, he feels like he's playing a very similar character to me. I mean, we know him as a great villain. He plays the hell out of a villain. Yes. He's playing a very similar villain to me as a character he plays in Chocolat. I I totally agree, except with none of the, like, lovable... I'm like, what if they're just floating some ideas for our <laughs> reboot of The Da Vinci Code? Uh, what if there were a uh, a cake scene? Where was the cake scene in The Da Vinci where, Code? Where is the scene where this bishop of Opus Dei is refusing to indulge in any sort of sweets or chocolates until he hits a breaking point in which he just goes balls to the wall eating every bit of chocolate in sight to the point where he's basically having sex with chocolate why isn't that seen in the da vinci code what's going on the there are a few like really iconically good shots of alfred molina the first was like paul bettany wakes up and alfred molina is just like standing over him and i was like this is for me Mm. ideal like <laughs> i wish i were paul bettany in this scene uh-huh. um and then there's the the clip that you sent me of alfred molina oh. like launching out of a car yes. like it's so good it's really that is the literally the best part of the movie because there's this really like epic music playing and it's like one of the few times in the movie where like interesting camera work is actually happening and like i'm not normally a big snob about like the mechanics of filmmaking in terms of like cinematography and editing and stuff like that but like this movie does everything so poorly that you like can't help but notice it but like there is one moment where Mm -hmm. i'm like ooh, look at this camera work where the camera's kind of like it's tracking with one person and then it kind of shifts over to focus on alfred molina getting out of a car and then he like sees something and then starts sprinting out of frame and it's just like this beautiful fluid movement and ugh. it's a scene from a better movie i was like that was a singular gorgeous shot indeed of i wish i knew i wish i didn't know what movie it was in (laughs) um okay so alfred molina plays bishop aaron garosa who is a religious figure of opus dei Mm -hmm. a sect of catholicism that seems Uh, according to this movie, pretty scary. 
and he is like Silas's mentor. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, uh, Langdon is taken to the Louvre, and Captain Fash, aka Jean Reno, who is... you're literally like Fash ist. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't know, and then I just kept watching because that's how you. That's the only way you can watch the Da Vinci Code is to be like, hmm, maybe that's something, and then you're like, well, I don't know. Okay. okay. <laughs> Something else is happening now. Now we're talking about Constantine and the Holy Wars. <laughs> yeah. So Captain Fash is Jean Reno and he is, he's there as well as Sophie Nouveau. It's very French and it's, they literally cast Amelie. So we're like, okay, she is French. So it's, yeah, Audrey Tattoo or however you say any name in French. And Love her. Wish she had been given a single thing to do in this entire movie. Truly. I hope she made so much money. That's It would give me peace to know that Audrey Tattoo made a lot of money, but I have a feeling that she probably made much less money Ooh. than literally every man on screen. That's probably true. Yeah. And that's upsetting. Her character is a cryptologist for the French police. And she's like, hey, Robert, they think, the police think that you killed Sonier. Also, by the way, he was my grandfather. And as he was dying, he left all of these clues. Mm -hmm. So you and I have to work together to solve them. Because basically, Sonier had put himself in the position of the Vitruvian man. And then he also wrote a bunch of words on the floor in invisible ink, which read... How long was this man dying? Like, <laughs> this is... I had a funny because I forgot what the because I remember like as a kid being like whoa the like long ass codes where he's just stumbling around the Louvre like <laughs> writing poems and shit and but I was I couldn't remember and so I was like what if it was what if he just smeared some pig out in blood like that would be a more interesting choice to be than whatever the fuck he did <laughs> thoughts something to consider for our reboot yeah it's like could be a fun iconic message to leave <laughs> also i forget who someone it might have been friend of the show matt rogers but like someone recently tweeted like what a what a like weak endorsement that was on the part of charlotte and her web <laughs> like really who's this guy i don't know some pig <laughs> He is some pig. And everyone was like, wow, he must be really special. And you're like, well, that's not what she said. <laughs> oh, goodness. Listen to women and what they weave in their web. <laughs> okay. So, um, Sonia had written, oh, draconian devil, oh, lame saint. And Langdon figures out that these words are an anagram and shout out to anagrams and my very anagrammable name, please and thank you. True. Um, True. That anagrams to Leonardo da Vinci, the Mona Lisa. And then we're like, wow, da Vinci code alert. It's starting. <laughs> so they go over to the Mona Lisa and there's another clue there. And that leads to another clue and then another. And it's like national treasure all over again. It's yeah. National treasure, except way longer and worse way Just less where, fun and there's no where's my bartha where's my bartha nary a bartha in sight i feel like this movie really would benefit from a bartha type character like because yeah you have the similar set because whatever in the national in the da vinci national treasure <laughs> frankenstein code it's like you have it's kind of like a sacred 
a sacred triptych, right? Like mm-hmm. you have your like agro hero in Nicolas Cage. You have woman who will not be allowed to do anything, but is there mm-hmm. in the form of Abigail. And then you have little cartoon squirrel guy mm-hmm. in the form of Justin Bartha. And I feel like the Da Vinci Code could really have used the Justin Bartha character to keep us to keep us having some fun in a movie that is really not that fun to watch. Right. Yeah. We need some kind of comic relief or squirrel relief or Bartha relief. It's not like Justin Bartha wasn't available, you know. He was. His availability is open. (laughs) Okay. So then they pick up the fleur-de-lis, which is this like key like object as they're going around the Louvre discovering clues. Mm -hmm. But then Langdon and Sophie have to run because the cops are chasing them. And while they're on the run, Langdon tells Sophie about the Priory of Scion, which is a secret society that protects a secret treasure, the Holy Grail. Um, So now I guess the story is about finding the Holy Grail. Right. Which I was like, (laughs) I think. Oh, right. That was another thing. I was like, oh, right. That's what the Da Vinci Code was looking Mm -hmm. for. Mm -hmm. Question mark. (laughs) Yes. So meanwhile, Silas has followed the clue that Sonia had given him, but it turns out to be a decoy. And he is so mad that he murders a nun about it. He really is on a mission from God. And that mission is to kill as many nuns as he possibly can, (laughs) because he kills a lot of nuns. Yeah. So then we cut back to Langdon and Sophie. They take the fleur-de-lis key thing to this like very fancy bank, I guess, where in a safety deposit box, there is a smaller wooden box with a rose on it. And inside that box is Is the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) That's the only thing that Sophie knows in the entire movie is like how the Da Vinci Code works but she doesn't know how to unlock it and she doesn't try and yes she knows what a cryptex is which is the thing that's in this little box and it's this device that you have to spell out a five-letter word to unlock it and retrieve like a little piece of papyrus inside but if you break it then the vinegar also inside the cryptex will dissolve the papyrus and then the secret's lost forever right so that's a lot of exposition that she very clunkily delivers to us messy i liked it better when it was uh just squirting like lemon juice on the declaration of independence (laughs) (laughs) that was a little more my speed but Mm -hmm. whatever they made a choice sure 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 but now they've hit a dead end because langdon doesn't know enough stuff about the grail legend so they go to lee teabing Mm -hmm. aka ian mckellen who is a grail historian who is also a billionaire and it's not clear how he has any of his money that was my thing like once you find out he's the spy you're like well of course he had to have some grift going on because (laughs) like grail historians that has to pay four dollars a year like what (laughs) who is like I feel like that's not like a thriving job market where you would have a like entire zip code to yourself (laughs) Right. Maybe he's nepotism. We don't know. Could be. Who cares? That uh, Being a Grail historian is the type of job that you would have if you're like the kid of a very wealthy family and you don't have to actually have a real job or work or anything. 
I got so bored at this part that I started to do a thought experiment of like, what if you were on a date with someone and you were getting along and then you're like, what do you do? And they were like, I'm a grail historian. Would you be like, I need to go? Or would you say, I'd better stay? Mm. I feel like I would be kind of turned off by a grail historian. Uh, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. In the same way many people are like, comedian, I have to go. And it's like, I get it. Um, that's how <laughs> right. I would feel about a grail historian. And actually, maybe I would feel a little superior. I'm like, oh, you found a job that's more embarrassing than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so they go to Lee Teeping, and Lee explains that the Holy Grail is not a cup, which is what it is commonly thought to be. It's a woman, but not just any woman. It's which one? Mary Magdalene. A what? And not only that, Mary Magdalene was Jesus's his wife. wife. What? And and but wait, there's more. There's more, which She's is that pregnant. That she was pregnant as hell with Jesus's Greg. That wasn't in Jesus Christ Superstar. My, my <laughs> mind was blown. Once that plot point came up, I'm like, oh, I do remember reading that in the book and being like, oh, what? <laughs> How could it be? Or like just all this, like, you know, it's like high key bullshit, but it is fun. Like, I don't know. Maybe it was more fun in the early 2000s when like online mm -hmm. conspiracies were not um killing people at the same rates they are these days but at the time right. i was like oh yeah there is no cup in that painting it must mean that amelie is jesus's niece like the it's so conspiratorial and weird and yeah uh, i mean it is like those kinds of scenes are really fun to watch especially when they end up being correct you're like wow you 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 made a big swing and you were right. Yeah. So basically, T-Bing is making the argument here that Da Vinci had left all these clues in his work that Mary Magdalene was Jesus's his wife and that she is the actual grail and that it's not this like chalice thing. Anyway, so he's like going through this whole PowerPoint presentation. And then he says that once Jesus was crucified... Mary Magdalene fled to France and gave birth to a daughter. Mm -hmm. So basically, the secret that the Priory of Sion has been protecting for the past 2,000 years mm -hmm. is the fact that Jesus has a bloodline and this whole string of heirs. Makes you think. <laughs> and the reason that, like, Silas and Alfred Molina's character and like Opus Dei exists is that they are trying to kill Jesus's family the, heir, the descendants of Je Jesus's family because the the revelation that Jesus was like a mortal man who can get people pregnant would kind of unravel the church's teachings of like the divinity of Jesus Christ. We can't be having that. It was <laughs> oh my god, it's so silly. And this whole scene takes like 20 minutes it takes a lot they cut away so to other long. stuff every once in a while but i'm like you think i don't notice that ian mckellen and tom hanks have been debating for 20 minutes about mary magdalene because <laughs> i do audrey tattoo is barely there she's like it could mm -hmm. it can't be what 
no and then like ian mckellen keeps asking her rhetorical questions that she gets wrong like that's the whole it's so much i think that it's worth mentioning just in keeping with our male feminist king narrative Mm. that uh Mm -hmm. robert langdon He's written a book. And you know, because we mm-hmm. see him reading his own book at multiple points in the movie. Uh, and it's called Feminine Sacre, the sacred feminine. And mm-hmm. you're like, God, he's so toxic. But he, like, the whole, it's so 2006, but it's still kind of like something that doesn't not exist now, where it's like, sure, uh, like cishet men who are so invested in proving they respect women that they just speak over women for hours on end without even noticing. Like, that's every man who's like good, quote unquote, in this movie. It's just talking over women and explaining women to them. And to extend is being like, no, I am obsessed with women. I respect them, but only if they are cis reproducing wives. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, okay, the way we're <laughs> defining womanhood is also toxic, Robert Langdon. Oh, yes. <sighs> so it's at this point in the story where after all this stuff has been explained to the only woman in the narrative who has no idea what's going on right lee starts to decipher the cryptex which is again supposed to have a map inside that's going to lead to the holy grail but just then silas sneak attacks them so they have to flee in lee teabing's plane which he has a private jet he of course has a plane and they go to London, and they take Silas as a hostage. And on the plane, Robert finds another clue in the box that the cryptex came in. So they go to the tomb that this clue speaks of, and they're they're trying to get more information or something. This is a whole, this is another like, and then, or something happens, <laughs> where I don't really know why anyone is doing anything. So they're trying to find some information, but Teabing's servant man, Remy, kind of turns on them and he turns out to be the teacher. But oh, wait, just kidding. It's Lee. Ian McKellen is the teacher. He was the spy. He was the spy. He's the- I still <laughs> yes. like, again, another wide swing that ends up working out for Ian McKellen. I'm like, how did you get away with that? He's calling from his home phone number. Like mm. being like, I oh yeah, I know Jesus's niece. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, just weird stuff. Weird stuff. I don't know. Um, but so he's not. He's the bad guy. Yes. And then so he he and like Langdon and Sophie have kind of like gotten away from each other. But then they cross paths again, and he's trying to get them to like solve the cryptex and he his whole thing is he wants the secret of the grail to be exposed mm-hmm. so that's why he's like obsessed with like finding the location of i don't know i get they're looking for like mary magdalene's sarcophagus i don't even know what's happening i anyway. don't even know what and then robert langdon it's at the bleh. <laughs> right that also made no sense to me i'm like so the louvre is just why do they have it what and who put it there? I guess the Priory of Sion put it there, but how did they manage that? I feel like these are questions we, <laughs> that weren't intended to be asked. No. no. Oh. 
so then uh, we see a scene where Silas accidentally shoots Alfred Molina, but oh, no. he survives. So it's okay. Yes. But Silas, guess what? He dies. He dies. And then um, let's see. Oh, okay. So this is where Lee finds Sophie and Langdon again, and he's holding them at gunpoint, trying to make them open the cryptex. And then Robert breaks it on purpose, knowing that it's going to destroy whatever's inside but he knows what the da vinci code is caitlin and and, and right i didn't even i like skipped over the whole apple thing in it's my recap because i was like this is too preposterous i can't even include it it's the most important part of the movie when <laughs> tom hanks turns away from where audrey tattoos in the middle of being damseled rude of him right he turns around envisions the solar system figures out the da vinci mm. code was apple that he smashes the da vinci code just in case it wasn't apple and he doesn't <laughs> want to embarrass himself that was i think i think that audrey tattoo should have been like she seemed okay like she seems just like kind of like not invested enough in what's going on as even though it like is theoretically she's got the most on the line here she seems mm-hmm. kind of indifferent towards a lot of the events of the movie. When he smashes the Da Vinci Code, later she's just like, why did you smash the Da Vinci Code? I was like, <laughs> dude, like Jesus's map was in there. Like, why are, why do you care so little? It's just like her character is just so underwritten that she's like, why, yeah, would, oh, yeah. why would you smash a Da Vinci Code? He's like, well, it was Apple. And she's like, you're so smart. <laughs> like... <laughs> So the Da Vinci Code is Apple, question mark. Also, there's just really bad storytelling here where <laughs> somehow, I mean, everywhere in this movie, but yeah, here especially, where the police come in and arrest Lee because Fash had figured out that he's the bad guy. And I don't remember exactly how that happens, but they know that Lee is bad. So they arrest him. And as he's getting arrested, he like somehow realizes that Langdon had figured out the cryptex and he's like screaming about it. he's like you figured it out that's awesome good for you so he's like carrying on as he's getting arrested which spoils what should have been a reveal that yes he did figure it out and he had ta- he did know that it was apple I, and he had taken the map I out i still think it was a lucky guess i still think it's a really <laughs> lucky guess because there's no way i just have call me a da vinci truther but i just think he would have thought it out more than apple in in mm. modern english but it doesn't make sense well i think because that is like sonye mm-hmm. was the one who devised that cryptex because they gotta like figure out like as the secret gets passed on down the centuries not not to be a, a da vinci defender defending <laughs> the da vinci code being apple <laughs> I, I'm actually fully defending this choice. Like, I think it's brilliant. Genius. I think the the clue of like fleshy red seeded womb equals apple. Oh. That's a perfect clue. It's so gross. <laughs> the more you think about the Da Vinci Code being apple, the worse and grosser it gets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, so the reveal gets spoiled that, in fact, Langdon did solve the cryptex and he took the map out. And the map is just another clue, which leads them to Roslyn Chapel, which is this like church of many faiths built by the Priory of Sion or something. And then they find this secret room with a bunch of documents about the Grail Mm -hmm. and 
Langdon discovers that Sonier was not actually Sophie's grandfather. He was just protecting Sophie because she is the Holy Grail. She is the heir of Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene. At this point, I'm just like, who cares? Not Sophie. (laughs) So why should I care? Sophie literally could not react less to being Jesus's niece. It's so... Mm -hmm. She's she just once again is like it can't be. I'm like you're in the national treasure basement. Like what is <laughs> what are you talking about? She's so just n- we're getting nothing from her. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. What if if you yeah. found out you were Jesus's biological niece, you would react. Yeah, one would. I wouldn't say nothing. Everyone would react a little different, but I wouldn't say nothing. And. Uh, God, God, so frustrating. It's, I'm like, it's, wow, she really, she really just said, huh, huh, huh. Oh, wow, okay. me, wow. but I'm so boring. And it's like, you're not wrong there. <laughs> so then, meanwhile, all of, all of the Priory of Sion has gathered because they live a half hour away Locally, or something. Yeah. <laughs> And they're like, hi, Sophie, we, we've known who you were this whole time. So creepy. And then her grandmother is there. Is that her biological I grandmother? I don't know. I was really unclear on that. I'm like, is that Jacques Saunier's wife? Right. Or, or is that her biological? Because they were like, oh, Sophie's the only living person. And I'm like, but wait, what about that lady? Yeah. We don't know. Mm. She doesn't have, her womb doesn't work anymore. So she is rendered obsolete. And guess who doesn't give a shit either way? Sophie. She doesn't ask a single question. She just goes, huh? Oh. Ah, what a day. What a day I'm having. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so then Robert Langdon and Sophie say goodbye. But later, Langdon's like, hang on. Mary Magdalene's sarcophagus wasn't there. Where was it? The, the mystery still isn't solved. Then he solved. reads his own book again. He reads his own book to find the answers. And he's like, bloodline, rose line, rose. What does it all mean? And then he realizes... Moon, sarcophagus. <laughs> rocks, ranks, socks. <laughs> he realizes... And then he, I'm just like, I don't think he figured anything out. I think he just stumbled around. Guessed Found an old library. <laughs> And then he's like, I can't believe Mary Magdalene's buried at the Louvre. Like, what a uh, perfect ending shot, though. So expensive looking. So, yeah. So he goes to, he realizes somehow that Mary Magdalene's sarcophagus is under the Louvre or like somewhere in the Louvre. I don't know. And then he kneels (laughs) down and he prays. And that's the end of the movie. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Get in zone, AutoZone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? Ah, thinking about gas mileage. You know, changing your oil with a full synthetic oil like Castrol Edge can help your engine get more miles. Right now, you can get five quarts with an STP Extended Life oil filter for only $36.99. Get started on your next job today with the parts you need when you need them at AutoZone or AutoZone.com. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. <laughs> questions <laughs> uh no it made total sense to me i this movie is hilarious like th- there's just it's just so expensive it <laughs> wants you to think it's it, it it like i don't know it is like fun to watch a movie that really thinks it's doing something you know and it's like so like sweeping and engaging and you know that people really liked it when it came out and that it, there was like i mean there was such a huge controversy around this movie and everyone was like you know but it, but then you watch it and you're like this is ridiculous mm-hmm. i wanted to start by i want to just kind of uh start by talking about how um albinism is portrayed in this movie yes. and mm-hmm. many so that's i think one of the biggest missteps in the i mean just the story as a whole because i know that that is uh i believe canon to the book as well yes i believe so so um so yeah i mean there is just a very traceable history of um not just uh prejudice against albino people but prejudice against albinism in movies specifically and mm-hmm. uh using albinism as a shorthand for demonizing a character mm-hmm. i have a, a, an article that came out at the time this movie was released in summer 2006 uh, it was in uh shout out penn state news oh i uh, found that one as well i thought you know it's 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 kind of a cursory overview but kind of gives you a short history of villains who are albino in movies mm-hmm. there's also i mean i think it's it's worth saying that there is Part of the reason this shows up in movies a lot is because there has been prejudice that has been extremely violent towards 
albino people from all over the world Mm -hmm. for like hundreds of thousands of years. There were people who were sent to prison for hunting albino people as recently as 2009. Mm. Like it is like a very, very pervasive prejudice that is really, really rarely discussed. Mm -hmm. And it's very present in this movie through the character of Silas, who is played by Paul Bettany, who we no, it is not an albino person. Right. So I just wanted to read a quote from this piece uh, from the Penn State News to mm-hmm. kind of open the discussion. It's from Mary Beth Oliver, who is a Penn State professor mm-hmm. and talks about the psychological effects of media. Basically breaks down that a lot of albino stereotypes are connected to vampires Mm. going back as far as Nosferatu and just associating paleness and like really really light pigmentation of the eyes of the hair and of the skin with uh, zombies with vampires and just Mm -hmm. with inherent badness right so and and uh, the article kind of goes down to And Silas in The Da Vinci Code is kind of the most recent version of this prejudice seeping into a villain because it is Mm -hmm. in no way necessary to Silas's character for him to be an albino character. Mm -mm. He is a religious extremist with a traumatic past Mm -hmm. that can be literally anybody. So the choice for him to be an albino character an extremely underrepresented population in movies Mm -hmm. is really intentional, you know? And so uh, Mary Beth Oliver says, quote, to portray any group as one dimensional is a problematic thing. Even if negative portrayals are infrequent, if it's the case that every time albinos are depicted, it's negatively, then the images become connected. Demonization of any group runs the risk of affecting us in ways we might not be aware of. Um, And then kind of notes that Silas is, Uh, symptomatic of this prejudice but is in no way singular this is like a very distinct Mm -hmm. media trend that is like very rarely discussed yes indeed it sucks um i did a little bit of research on this as well and wanted to share something i found from the tri-city herald okay shout out (laughs) um So this was published in 2017. It talks about a study from University of Texas that examined heroes and villains, the the top 10 heroes and villains from the AFI's 100 Greatest Heroes and Villains list and found that 60% of the villains had some form of skin disease and none of the hero none of the heroes did so just like extending mm-hmm. beyond albinism there's like a, a just a huge we've talked about this before in terms of like disability often being ascribed to villains absolutely and yeah. then therefore demonizing disability um and then quote the study also mentions the widespread trope of the evil albino in which tv shows movies and other media treat albino characters as untrustworthy ill-intentioned and villainous According to the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation, 68 movies released between 1960 and 2006 feature evil albino characters, with a large portion of those coming after the year 2000. Um, it talks about how this movie was protested by the National Organization for Albinism and Hypopigmentation. Noah. But, you know, the filmmakers still made the choice to include this trope Mm -hmm. and this is a quote from michael mcgowan the president of noaa at the 
time that he did an interview with the Associated Press in the early or mid-2000s, said, uh, quote, The problem is that there has been no balance. There are no realistic, sympathetic, or heroic characters with albinism that you can find in movies or popular culture. So it's the same, end quote. So it's the same thing. Yes that we see all the time with villains being othered in some way that ends up being very toxic and harmful for people. For the who... extremely marginalized group. And yeah, it's, I mean, and on top of that, I mean, in, in the same way that we've been having ongoing conversations about how disabled characters and, and just uh, are, are very rarely played by actors who mm-hmm. have that disability. And Paul Bettany is a wonderful actor, but certainly cannot speak to that experience. And it's just, it couldn't be more obvious in the context of this movie that albinism is used to other this character. Mm-hmm. It is used to make the character look different from other people and to some extent, like justify it. Well, oh, they look so different from what I'm used to. Of course, they're not going to be the good guy mm-hmm. in this movie. And it's 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 so it's really I mean, I think that this is the first time we've talked about it extensively on this sh- show. But it is like such a long standing issue. And there are still not like I, I mean, I can't think of like a, an extremely successful albino actor, even though there are you know, many mm-hmm. who are working. And so, yeah, ugh, I don't know. I mean, this, yeah, it's just, for me, it's like the worst part yeah. of the movie by a long shot. Like, mm-hmm. and, and we'll, we'll link in the description of the episode, some resources where you can learn more as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where it's just, there's absolutely no argument to be made by perpetuating this stereotype in 2006 in a way that like it couldn't be less necessary this Mm -hmm. is a religious extremist character right you don't need to marginalize a community to get across that religious extremism is not good like Mm -hmm. it's just so absurd that (laughs) it it it's it's really upsetting to watch Mm -hmm. and then similarly one of the other characters who ends up being a major villain, Lee Teabing, a.k.a. Ian McKellen, is a character with a physical disability. He uses canes. And they, like, repeatedly refer to him jokingly as, he, oh, he's a cripple. And, like, mm-hmm. everyone is, like, making fun of his... And it's, like, you can still see it. it's being done for this very unnecessary, ableist narrative reason. It's like, oh, we need to make him look you know, harmless. So what Mm. will we do? Let's give him a disability. And it's like, that is just, I mean, it, we talk about it a lot, but it's just, it's so harmful and lazy. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's, it sucks. And then also that you see like him like pushed around while he's navigating with canes and just like, it's, uh, it's so, it's just so aggressively unnecessary. Absolutely. That is trash. It is simply trash, and we do not like it. <laughs> um, but wait, there's more. There's more <laughs> that we don't like. I mean, we uh, we already started to kind of get it. That like, let's just get like we're gonna get all the like truly harmful, evil shit out of the way, and then we're just gonna uh, mm. <laughs> dunk on the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, the this movie's view of valuing and respecting women is mm. so fucking goofy. I, it's ugh. it's for I mean, it's extremely cis normative where it's like well, the reason that Mary Magdalene is important is because of like her womb. I'm like, <laughs> it's just like creepy, turfy language. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, it's like, I feel like we're supposed to believe that Robert Langdon and like what Lee Teabing are like feminists because they acknowledged a woman's existence like <laughs> it's just so bottom of the barrel and then even but even so it's like well of course we valued her because she was a wife and a mother but mm-hmm. we acknowledge that she was a real person and also uh don't say she's a sex worker because i don't like that and yeah. like that offhand comment mm-hmm. of like ian mckellen being you know horrified that it was suggested that Mary Magdalene was a sex worker, mm-hmm. which as we, I mean, it's just another extremely marginalized and stereotyped community in film. And it's just, God, I'm like, <laughs> this, is this the feminism you ordered? I guess this is Bush administration feminism is <laughs> so a man, a man screaming at you that it's okay to be a wife and a mother. Like, <sighs> shut up. A huge component of this movie is like, the symbology surrounding ooh this symbol equals male and this symbol equals female and holy grail equals woman's womb and oh. is as you said just like reductive and cisnormative and but the characters are presenting this information as if they're like actually it's awesome that the Holy Grail is Mary Magdalene's womb and her bloodline. Ugh. And it's, it's, and it's because of the, the church hated women and they, and they burned witches at the stake, but women are actually cool because of their ability to have sex with men and give them children. It's so, <laughs> ugh, it, it's like just so frustrating that they're like, this is what women, this Mel Gibson thought he knew what women wanted. <laughs> this is what women want to be called. Oh God. It's obviously, we say this all the time too. It's like no disrespect to like people who have babies and people who give birth, like <laughs> amazing. Keep it up if you want to. Right. But yeah, it's just like the most basic, reductive, mm-hmm. incorrect way to define it's just so annoying. Mm-hmm. They don't say anything about Mary Magdalene except that she was a wife, a mother, and moved to France. Mm-hmm. like, And not a sex worker. And on top of that, I, this kind of like dovetails into what there is to discuss about Sophie. It's like they're just talking at a woman the entire movie who is like... Again, it's it's kind of I don't I guess it's the opposite of a Mary Sue. I don't it's a it's a Susan Marie where <laughs> where we're presented with a woman who should know how to do a lot of things, but is not allowed to do anything. Like we meet Sophie as like a well respected cryptologist. I, I kind of like how she's introduced. She like mm-hmm. enters very authoritatively. She's like, I am Sophie, I am a cryptologist. Everyone takes her very seriously. Like it's immediately she's in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. She gets a little code across to to Langdon. And yeah, I thought it was like generally kind of a strong introduction to that character. Sure. But then it's just like she proceeds to 
contribute nothing to the story, Mm -hmm. not seem to really care what's going on in the story, even (laughs) though it very much concerns her. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's just like she she's she's damseled several times, even though usually when she's damseled, she's damseled first, but then everyone's damseled. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, okay, what? It's just there's just like we find out. I mean, I guess. The things I can say about her are <laughs> I love Audrey Tattoo. Mm-hmm. She's great. We do know more, I think, about like Sophie's background than we know about Robert Langdon's. Like all we really know about Robert Langdon is he teaches at Harvard and he fell in a well. Uh, <laughs> True. But I would argue that a lot of like men who are writing a female, like a strong female character. Oh, well, like she's defined by her trauma. Exactly. Oh, it's like course. a character who has a tragic backstory and then it has turned them into this kind of like stoic, almost cold, emotionless personality-less. But like, is that even what she's supposed to be coming off as? Like, it's so unclear how we're supposed to be receiving her because there's just nothing. Oh, it's just, I just woke... I just woke Flea up oh. with my screaming about the Da Vinci Code. Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she just, like, she's devoid of any kind of personality, humor, emotion of any kind. Nothing. She's like, I hate history. I, mm. I was like, but what do you like? Like, do you even like breaking codes? It sure doesn't seem that way. Yeah, right, because you don't have any, you don't seem to be able to do it, because we don't see you do it at any point, except she knows that P.S. equals Princess Sophie. <laughs> I'm, which is like, well, if we're, I guess while we're in the reductive zone, why not? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to try to coin this. She's a full on Susan Marie. She should mm. know how to solve a number of problems that are going on in this story. We're introduced to her as a person who is extremely qualified to solve this but instead of her solving anything we are just introduced by robert langdon to other characters who should be able to break a code Mm -hmm. and it's like but she's right there like it's uh it's so and it is like doubly frustrating to me that she just doesn't even seem interested in codes and it's like well if you're not interested in codes why were we introduced to you as a code expert? Like if she was just, I would f- I would feel less insulted by this choice, honestly, if she was just like a regular person. She's like, I don't yeah. know. I own, a pl- I own a plant shop. I don't know shit about this. <laughs> like that would make more narrative sense given how little she does if she had no expertise in this. But we're told she has extreme expertise. And then she's just like, <clears throat> I don't know. Like when Eve McKellen has a gun to her head and he's like, what's the Da Vinci Code? She's like, <laughs> I IDK IDK <laughs> my BFF Jill I guess you'll just have to kill me and like she doesn't even try she doesn't think Mm-mm. for a second about what the Da Vinci Code might be also, she doesn't seem to care yeah. like it's just so bizarre <laughs> and then when they're like looking at all the invisible ink scrawled all over the floor and he's like wait a minute the Fibonacci sequence, they're out of order. Maybe that's a clue that the letters are out of order. And she's like, oh, an anagram. And then rather than trying to solve an anagram as a fucking cryptologist, she's like, 
shrug can you do it robert and he's like you betcha um and then and then he iconically says (laughs) moon sermons charms demons sermons monks he says sermons twice also monks ranks rocks like at least robert langdon for someone who is not a cryptologist uh seems interested in breaking codes like it's even though he clearly sucks at it and he thought the Da Vinci Code was Apple, which I am increasingly convinced it was not. Okay, here's another uh, thing I'm <laughs> I'm realizing <laughs> in real time here. So bear with me. But okay. Okay. So Sen what is his name? Senye. I don't I don't know how French. Sonye. Jacques Sonye. I feel I also think that Dan Brown Maybe I'm totally right. If we have French matrons, uh, please correct me if, if I'm wrong. But it does just sound like Dan Brown is writing down the most French names he can think of. <laughs> like, he's like, um, Jacques Soyer. Sure. Yeah. Print it. I'm a billionaire now. Watch my masterclass. I'm going to watch his masterclass and he's he's going to oh tell gosh. me to wake up at 4 a.m. and eat spinach and I'm going <laughs> to turn it off. And then you're going to be the most successful writer of all time, Jamie. Um, okay. So... Jacques Sonnier, who we learn through flashbacks, has been training Sophie to break codes and follow clues. And like, he's been like prepping her for her entire life for this kind of thing. (laughs) Why doesn't she care? (laughs) She doesn't care. And he has so little faith, apparently, that she will be able to solve any of this stuff that he explicitly tells her find Robert Langdon, even though he is not a cryptologist and is not an expert in deciphering code. I was kind of wondering that. I'm like, why? Because Robert Langdon himself says, I don't know why I would be the person to go to. Right. But this, the entire plot of this movie hinges on the fact that a man had so little faith in a woman to be able to propel the story forward that he's like, okay, woman who I know, find this man over here because he'll be able to help you. Okay, but also, <laughs> canonically, it was he wrong? It wasn't like Sophie could solve any of the codes. She solved zero of the codes. She just knew that the one thing had a code inside of it. True, but that is just because the writing is such dog shit. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, of course, it's, it's because Dan Brown doesn't, actually care about women right that's obvious but like in the canon it makes total sense to me that Jacques Saunier would have very little faith in Sophie's ability to solve this code because she doesn't solve a single code and the movie's four hours long (laughs) I'm also realizing I have all these Mm. notes saying Robert and Sophie Robert and Sophie Robert and Sophie and I'm like literally oh my god oh my god Robert Evans Evans and Sophie Sophie literally are friends I wrote it down 500 times last night and I literally at one point I'm like this feels weird I feel like I've written this before uh it's because uh wait wait what if that's of my closest friends wait a minute what is what if that's code what if the movie's trying to tell us something about our friends robert and sophie i hope not let's just say (laughs) as someone who really detests both of these characters I hope not. I hope that. Oh my god, that's so funny though. They should they should star in our reboot. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Robert and so except this time Sophie uh, does know how to do things, mm-hmm. and uh, Robert isn't a he's just carrying creep. guns around. <laughs> yeah, he just has he he doesn't really. Yeah, he just has the he's kind of the muscle of yeah, the yeah, operation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know who Ian McKellen is in this situation. We'll figure it out. Mm, we'll sort it out. Yeah. 
Let's think on it. But Who's um, spy? yeah, to kind of go back to just like a lot of this plot is men explaining things to women. This happens a lot in a lot of movies across many genres where yeah it's like a, basically a storytelling device it and i think it, i think it actually um composes like the vast majority of human interaction as well <laughs> while we're at it i've had so many things that i already know explained to me by men and it doesn't come from nowhere you right know? um <laughs> So what happens here with this kind of trope even is that there's a, a story that requires a lot of like world building or exposition and the writer needs to figure out a way to get this across clearly to the audience. So what they usually do is pull in a character like, you know, an audience proxy who the other characters can explain things to so that the audience can get this information. What usually happens or what often happens is that this character is like the only woman or one of only a very few number of women in the story. I remember talking about this in the Casino Royale episode. This happens in Laura Croft. This happens... I mean, literally, I mean, I think it's like honestly part and parcel to every genre, but I feel like it's prevalent in the action genre like extremely. action sci-fi yeah world building genres especially i and i think that it has a lot to do with i would guess that genres that people assumed for a very long time that men are the main audience for this genre that it features a lot of men talking at women right and it's just like it's just a, it's a trope that operates under and reinforces the assumption that like women don't know things women don't know as much as men women aren't smart men are smart men need to explain things to women and like that is just like such a widely held belief still particularly by men but this one is like even it just feels like a very weird mutation of that trope because it's men talking at women not just about anything of like this is how spaceship work Mm -hmm. this is how computer work or or like extremely binary assumptions of like men know about this thing women Mm -hmm. know about this thing these are men who are talking about women (laughs) at a woman like it's it's like worse than the normal one Mm -hmm. because like it's all bad but it's especially annoying to hear men explain women to them like (laughs) that is just like what are you doing like the room couldn't be less red in this scenario. Mm-hmm. There's a, it, That scene is fucking 20 minutes long <laughs> where they're explaining birth and marriage and like just, mm-hmm. and what aren't they explaining about cis women to a cis woman who's sitting right there. Right. Like it's just so... And then it just means that like uh... because the two men already know things about this and they've formed their own theories they get to like debate and like actually have a discussion whereas Sophie is just talked at and explained to and it's just ugh. but again the thing is like Sophie should be able to engage with this discussion to some extent based on what we know about her she just the the writers Dan Brown slash the guy who wrote this movie don't let her that's right. why it like really bothers me it's like we have been told that she has a level of knowledge that at least even if she doesn't know jack shit about the bible she is a cryptologist she's a very critical thinker like mm-hmm. she would be able to 
engage with this conversation actively, even if she wasn't the expert on the subject. She would at least be able to intelligently interact with this topic, but she just doesn't. She just because yeah. they don't care. They just make her sit there and they like just make her sit be there. like, huh? What? That's not what I heard. <laughs> like And then they cut to Audrey Tattoo who like wakes up from the nap she was taking because <laughs> she hasn't they haven't put a camera on her in 14 hours and she goes that can't be or she goes like but wait or like Ian McKellen like at multiple points in that scene asks her questions that he knows the answer to that he knows she doesn't know the answer to and then she will answer it wrong and then he'll be like ha 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 no you, you fool. absolute fool <laughs> it's Mary Magdalene and she's your mom and then you're just like <laughs> Oh my God, this is exhausting. It also makes you wonder why Jacques Saunier would not tell Sophie anything about her true identity or her history. Like, it's not like she's too young. She's like in her 30s. It's not like, oh, I couldn't tell her. She was only, you know, she was 10 years old. She couldn't handle the truth yet. It's like, no, she's like she's 33 a, she's years a full old. Adult. And I think the movie tries to like explain, or this, this story, the book, whatever, tries to explain this away by like saying, oh no, they lost touch. But why would the Grandmaster of the Priory of Scion let that happen. Let himself lose touch with the last living heir of Jesus if his whole thing is protecting this heir. Like he literally had one job. <laughs> he had one job and then he like I just it's so fun. I would love not lo the let's scale that down. I think it would be really funny. Like the amount sorry to go back to the whole like <laughs> invisible ink in the Louvre mm. but like we must <laughs> how long must it have taken <laughs> like and you never see you see I think I mean we're to assume all of the invisible ink he had on hand <laughs> when he died at the Louvre uh, <laughs> and, but his his hand never falters it's all in the same font it's mm. all in like comic sans b and he just is like, whoop, whoop, whoop. He's doing like anagrams in his head as he's like bleeding out from his stomach. Mm -hmm. Like, ugh, God. The okay, yes. So ultimately, the point. So and and we didn't. Caitlin and I agreed we're not going to get into the extreme sexism in Catholicism or organized religion in any way because it is just too vast, and we wanted to have fun today. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But I do feel like. Dan Brown uses extreme misogyny in organized religion to make his misogyny look not that bad. I feel like he kind of offsets it. Like anytime he we is there's like a scene of a woman being talked over, ignored, whatever. It's you know, a crime against women that is far more violent is like invoked almost as if to say like Sure, I'm an asshole to women, but I wouldn't murder one in the holy wars. Like, it's just kind of this weird equivalent. I wouldn't burn a witch at the stake <laughs> for free. Like, the it's just, ugh, I, yeah, I, I think he, again, I, I just really think he thinks he's doing something um, mm -hmm. when it's like, Audrey Tattoo has is technically in this scene, but she hasn't had a line of dialogue in 45 minutes. Um <laughs> 
it's just ridiculous yeah i this is just such a it's it's just like a female character who is couldn't be more important to the story Mm -hmm. and couldn't be worse written less engaged but i feel like it's just like whatever it's 2006 and having a woman physically present is like we did it you know like it's just so half-assed and annoying she's just right she's just there to basically be a big reveal like her function in the story is to like be the twist she's just he's just carrying around Chekhov's womb right so but if that is something you want to do in your story fine I guess but also you have to spend the rest of the story carefully characterizing her and not just like having her tag along the other thing that really annoys me about it is that um they keep referring to once they like they're like yes i guess let's agree that the holy grail is a human as the son the heir to the heir of jesus Mm -hmm. and they keep using he pronouns you know whoever this living heir of jesus is. oh yeah because they just assume because yeah, they just assume but it's also if i it's think an heir they can take seriously <laughs> that but it's also i think just done to like throw you off the trail of the big twist that it's sophie so it feels like that thing where it's like oh the person who was like riding that motorcycle and had a helmet on who you thought was a man oh they took the helmet off and it's actually a woman it feels like adjacent to that right and then it's like end of observation <laughs> right. i've got a, i've got a, i've got a quote mm. i've got a quote okay this is classic bechtel cast uh citation process this is the abstract of a paper i would have had to pay 40 dollars to read <laughs> so i'm gonna go into the abstract i would like to find this paper for not 40 dollars no disrespect to its author um <laughs> This was published in 2008. It is by a uh, professor at the University of Maryland. Robert Langdon? By oh. Christy. Robert Langdon. <laughs> uh, feminist king. Uh, Sorry, go it's ahead. Written by Professor Christy Maddox. Uh, and it is called The Da Vinci Code and the Regressive Gender Politics of Celebrating Women. And I really uh, <laughs> should read this paper because <laughs> it's the abstract, I feel like, really uh, concisely boils down the kind of like bothiness of like them thinking they're being feminist while ignoring all female characters. So here's what Christy Maddox says, Uh, quote, the public outcry prompted by the Da Vinci Code accused the novel of being a radical feminist text with potentially dangerous implications for Christianity. The novel celebrates women, the quote unquote, sacred feminism and quote unquote, goddess worship which on one level gives it ideological kinship with the important tradition of difference or cultural feminism. This analysis, however, argues that the novel undercuts its feminist moves through its persistent recourse to the private sphere and its unremitting celebration of the biological. The narrative falls victim to the problem that commonly inheres in difference slash cultural feminism. It redefines the binary system of gender as well as resulting heterosexuality. Mm -hmm. Through these anti-feminist impulses, the Da Vinci Code makes plain that celebrating women does not always make for feminist progress. Instead, the Da Vinci Code highlights the dangers inherent in cultural slash difference feminism. Finally, situated with its religious context, the Da Vinci Code demonstrates the possibility for feminism's co-optation by moral reform politics. Which I think is just mm. kind of an academic way of saying, like, 
sort of what we've been circling around this whole time, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, <laughs> Dan Brown, this movie in general seems to be saying that by, you know, celebrating women in any narrow, extremely cis binary way is enough of a win mm-hmm. to call itself a feminist text which wasn't helped by how this movie was received because it was, you know, like denounced by the Catholic mm. church. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like, I feel like we both kind of remember. And like, <sighs> which only ever helps a movie ever. <laughs> right. Like, but part of the grounds it was banned on was like, well, they're deifying women and we don't do that in Catholicism, which is, you know, true, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it resulted in this, property being cast in this like radical feminist lens in a property where there's only one female character who has nothing going on mm-hmm. like at any point and so um yeah i wanted to shout out christy maddox i feel like she very intelligently said something that i felt strongly watching this movie but couldn't like get into those mm-hmm. words it's like it's just uh, it, it just speaks to i think this bar on the floor at this time mm-hmm. yeah. well it's it's kind of operating under the same logic that like conservative like the way that the patriarchy values women because mm-hmm. you'll find p- plenty of like misogynist people out there who are like no i love women they're sacred we have to protect them because they're our mothers and our wives like it's and our daughters and our daughters and and literally like ted cruz style (laughs) like i have a daughter i cannot possibly be a bad person like you're just like sir (laughs) right and it's just like operating under the same logic like of well women are so special to the world because they're the ones who give life and who our wombs walking wombs which is like no disrespect to people with wombs that you know want to have babies with the wombs right of it's course just the reductivism of of the thing that it just excludes so many people and it oh god i mean <laughs> just like cis men are never reduced to a biological function in this way ever mm-hmm. like <laughs> To the point where, as Robert Langdon is explaining male and female symbology to Sophie, he's like, the V, the the triangle, the, the whatever. I don't even know what that symbol is, but like an upside down V. That's the mm-hmm. symbol for man. <laughs> it's a rudimentary phallus known as the blade represents aggression and manhood. And then he's like, as you might imagine, the exact opposite of that is the female symbol, as if male and female are opposite things. Like that's well, I mean, just... I think I guess not in defense of him, but like I, I, I do understand like that. It is like a historical, like that is like a symbolic thing that's existed for a long time. But he just presents it as kind of like this is a fact, you know? Right. Like, I mean, which I think is is extremely of the time. It's like in 2006, there, I don't think there, I mean, there really wasn't much conversation in depth in the mainstream about challenging gender roles mm-hmm. and uh, like the cis binary gender dynamic in, in really any way. And I feel like that scenes like that really, it takes like an ancient symbol mm-hmm. and obviously... <laughs> the further you go back the worse gender politics grow like but it's still presenting it in in a very 
matter of fact way of like, well, of course, this is boy and this is girl. <laughs> this is and girl. there is no Because a V, no, it resembles the shape of a woman's womb. And it's like, wh- why are, why is this the way you're presenting this information? Right. I mean, it's like, it's, it isn't surprising in any way. Like, <laughs> right. I didn't expect better of this movie. But it's, yeah, it's, it's just like, it's an extremely of its time movie that like the fact that that is like a very matter of fact line of dialogue delivered in a movie that is supposedly progressive on gender politics is like well that's all you need to know know? (laughs) right i wanted to go we touched on this also a little bit about like the lack of romantic subplot in the story that like it almost seems like well maybe maybe it was gonna be there but then it and then it just not i think they wanted us to do a will there won't they but i but i can't i cannot think of a single were we really was anyone in the audience like kiss like well, i just right. don't, i wasn't feeling that i i appreciate that they didn't force any kind of like romantic subplot although there's this one moment it's the scene where Lee, he's like holding them at gunpoint and he's threatening to kill Robert Langdon and he's talking to Sophie and he's like, oh, by the way that you've been looking at your hero, you wouldn't let him die, would you? And I'm like, is the implication there that like she is romantically interested in him and he's sort of like using Langdon as leverage to get what he wants because he thinks that Sophie's in love with him? Uh-huh. And I was like, what is, what, why is that there? I, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to think about it. I don't even, I, ew, 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 ew. Mm -hmm. The fact that we are like, to, I mean, yeah, it's, again, it's just, it makes me so tired, Caitlin, to even (laughs) think about, like, First of all, impossible to root for because it's like even large age gap aside, which is another like tropey, tropey, tropey element of this genre specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, action genre loves an enormous oh, age yes. gap. And that is not to, I want to be uh, a little clear on that because I, I feel like there is just kind of like a general feeling that any age gap is not okay. That is not, you know, that that's, that's not true. I mean, it, there's many relationships in which an age gap is present and the relationship is perfectly healthy and it's fine. And like, right. I, I don't mean to like cast that net so widely as I think we have in the past. Sure. I, I just, I just think that it, it is in this case, I think pretty clearly done because of the value that a woman's youth has on screen. Right. And how that is not as much of an issue when it comes to a cis male actor. And that is, I think, a you know, a huge reason why we see mm-hmm. those age gaps present is because even in 2006, it was only acceptable to see a female lead in an action movie. You know, it, you cannot crest the age of 40 or all of a sudden you need to be an Oscar winner or extremely famous or we have a problem. Mm-hmm. And like there's just kind of this unspoken set of rules. And then on top of that, if you're Tom Hanks and Audrey Tattoo and you have no chemistry mm-hmm. 
And part of the reason, I don't, I don't even want to put that on them too much because it's because they didn't write Audrey a character. Right. Like maybe there would have been some chemistry between them if she had had anything to do or say <laughs> or think. Right. Like I, I feel like that whole thing speaks to like a series of small issues that it's like, I mean, I think we, we've like talked about this recently is like, we're not like completely against a romance in a movie the romance just has to like be healthy and make sense Mm -hmm. like it's really like i mean it it is kind of a high bar to clear just (laughs) speaking from experience but like it is not an impossible thing to be rooting for a romance Mm -hmm. in a movie even a hetero rim romance like it it can be done we've done it yeah maybe we'll do it again we don't know but (laughs) But it's just the way that this is set up is like, ah, oh God, I mean, it's impossible to root for because we're just given nothing. We're given Tom Hanks and the expectation that we want Tom Hanks to fuck. And mm-hmm. it's like, I'm just not really there. Like he, you know, he can mind his business. And but it's yeah. Okay, that was my yeah. Jamie's little rant. No, please. And, and to just add to that, the age gap thing, another component of how it can become problematic is when there's like a series where we see the same male star aging james bond syndrome yeah and then the female lead cast alongside him is usually different in every movie it's literally mcconaughey shit like they stay the same age and he keeps getting older like exactly yeah we've talked about that before on different episodes but it and it it, it's i mean with let me look up what the hell is this movie called inferno it's it's felicity it's felicity jones oh who is younger so it's not zoe deschanel Got it. <laughs> uh, similar haircut. I think you were you were tricked by the haircut because she does have bangs mm-hmm. in this movie. Uh, but it's Felicity mm. Jones, who is, uh, I think, almost 10 years younger than Audrey Tattoo. Um, because mm-hmm. the movie came out 10 years later. So they legally need to be 35 no matter what. Even if there isn't a actual romantic subplot in a movie like this, it's still framed as like, look at these two people doing action scenes together and they're spending a lot of time together and they're both attractive especially the woman no doubt that it's presented as if it is romantic because if you look at the i mean even on the uh da vinci code poster on wikipedia Mm -hmm. i think it's pretty unambiguously like audrey tattoo is like afraid and pressed against tom hanks's chest like you are supposed to be thinking of this as a potential for romance like it's right uh, pretty unambiguously like that's what you're supposed to think and even if they don't even actually like kiss or have sex or anything like that in the story and thank god they don't just like the quest the adventure the like close proximity they're in is just like yeah it's like presented as this like sexy thing the fact that she heals him with her christ-like power she cures <laughs> him of his fear of falling in a well again with her christ-like <laughs> hands and you're just like, I mean, yes. fucking whatever. It's just, it's just annoying. I just, I wanted to bring up that age gap thing because I was thinking about um, how Florence Pugh took a ton of shit. And even like I was like on the wrong side of that issue originally where 
like Florence Pugh is dating Zach Braff. They seem to be very mm. happy together. And mm. people were, you know, giving them a ton of shit for there being a not insignificant age gap, I guess, in that relationship. And she was like, I am an adult. I'm like 26 years old. Shut the fuck mm. up. Like, stay out of mm -hmm. my life. And it's like, yeah, point taken. <laughs> like, live mm -hmm. your life. Like, it's, it's just, it's, but in terms of like, this kind of universe I think it has I don't know it's I feel like it's slightly it's kind of a different discussion between like people that exist in the world and are in love in the world versus a mm -hmm. forced movie couple with absolutely no chemistry like it's two different discussions and right we're having the movie discussion here and because like at least where I usually come from is like because a woman's youth is usually valued mm -hmm. far beyond other qualities about them. Sure. It's just something that always pings me. And we see these trends in media of age gaps that usually have the implication of demonizing a woman aging. And, you know, there's the this idea that men are allowed to age, but people only want to see women on screen who are young. But again, it's worthwhile to examine this on a case-by-case -case basis rather than making any kind of sweeping generalizations about it. It's a very, I mean, it's a really complicated issue. And I will fully admit that I have like had kind of an unfair take uh, in the past in some cases. In cases like this, I feel like it's kind of unambiguously like, uh, what the fuck? Right. Uh, so, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's the Da Vinci Code. It's I don't know what we expected. The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> the Da Vinci Code is Apple. So, <laughs> any questions? <laughs> None. Um, <laughs> the there were a few scenes where I was like, where Sophie participates in the action that I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, she like bashes Silas's head against the ground after he sure. attacks them at the chateau. And then later she like picks up Lee's gun after he's been like disarmed. And then I was like, oh, right. She does that because she's a cop. Like, I forgot that she was like what her even background and training is. Because the movie cares so little about letting you know anything about her that she would like have some like combat skills and she would know how to handle a gun. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, oh, well, okay, she's allowed to, she's not like fully sidelined every time. She actually does participate in some of the action. And then I was like, oh, right, she knows how to do that because she's like a trained police officer. Anyway, so I was like, well, right. I guess points and then points taken back away. The other thing is that like, and this is just, this is probably neither here nor there, but she is wearing high heels and a pencil skirt throughout the entire movie. And if it were me and I found myself in the middle of a grail quest, the first thing mm -hmm. I would do is be like, hey, can we go to a store or like to my apartment so I can change into like pants and well, it's uh, comfortable there clothes? <laughs> I also like going back to the romance plot for a second. The fact that we're supposed to like they have spent uh, a maximum of 36 hours together. Mm -hmm. Like I understand the a good old fashioned trauma bond, but it's not been that long. Mm. Yeah, I do. And I think that that is a, a 
the problem you're describing is a Howard specific problem because was that not the exact same thing that came up with Bryce Dallas Howard Ooh. when she was in those damn Jurassic Park movies I didn't watch? Yes, that is exactly it. It was like she was wearing high heels, but she was a genius scientist running through running the mud of Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, yeah, it is kind of a similar thing where it's like, again, it's 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 frustrating to me because it's like we we know as lovers of cinema mm. that Audrey Tattoo is an incredibly dynamic, like character actress. She can pull off a lot of looks. She can pull off a lot of different energies like she's really talented and we're just thrown into like I feel bad for her watching this movie because it's just like. She's just thrown into this generic ass role where it's like she's dressed generically. Her character is written barely. And when it is, it's generically. And it's like, God, you are like, you've been given this incredible it. I mean, to invoke another French actress who people try to like inject into like aggro male American movies. It's like uh, Marianne Cotillard in Inception where mm-hmm. you're like, here's this enormously talented actor who is like being given just wife shit to do (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just yeah it's just annoying man it's it's like if you if you want to i i resent that like these really talented female actors are hired because they're talented Mm -hmm. and then they're not given anything to do that would showcase that talent in any way it ends up making them look bad Mm -hmm. and that's like just not fair like that's such an unfair exchange to have to make to but it does feel like very often with like and this is again this is changing over time and it is more significant in marginalized communities and but this exchange of like to go from like being an indie darling to being a mainstream star means that you need to kind of like sacrifice everything about yourself that was interesting and showed like that you were like this you know dynamic actor like Mm -hmm. it's just when that isn't true for for most cis male actors they're allowed to you know take the charisma that made them successful and carry it into the mainstream because that fucking makes sense Mm -hmm. like why would you hire a really interesting talented actor and then give them i just don't get it it's like in that case then hire fucking anybody hire someone who sucks at acting you wouldn't even know the difference you know like it's just weird (sighs) yeah hire me i suck at acting and yeah but i wouldn't you would never know because i wouldn't have to say anything but can you wear a shoe like (laughs) that's all you just have to be able to like talk at tom hanks like and just be like what no it that can't be it couldn't be (laughs) like it's any any you know human person who could say it couldn't be could have played that role so it's it's extra shitty that it took a very talented actor who deserved a meteor mainstream role Mm -hmm. and was given uh, nothing Mm -hmm. well anything else i think i've said everything the Da Vinci Code was Apple. Apple. <laughs> Ultimately. Did this movie pass the Bechdel test? I honestly, I'm going to guess no. I don't think so. I did no. forget to pay Two attention. Two and a half hours. Because the only other female characters who we see are like the occasional nun or are there any? I really I don't, don't that think so. The fact that we're talking about women this entire movie, uh, barely any appear. 
Yeah, I do not believe that this passes the Bechdel test. It's what a what a stinker. Wait, I just I just googled it. This is funny. Okay, so there is this website that I don't think we've ever directly cited, even though it's a hilariously perfect thing for us to talk about. It's mm. BechdelTest.com. dot com, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's a pretty. I think it's kind of an old website. It looks kind of HTML y. Sure, sure. And then it just you can just look up the name of a movie, and then people will comment whether they think it passed the Bechdel test oh, or not. Yeah. By our metric, I do not think it passes, but. Here are the three comments. Dr. Space Goat said this. <laughs> Dr. Space Goat said, it passes. Sophie and Sister Sandrine, the latter of which is killed off in the third of the, the first third of the movie. I'm like, well, I don't know who Sister Sandrine is, so that's a no. Maybe she was credited on IMDb. I didn't hear that mm-hmm. name spoken. But I don't think she and Sophie even, talk- do they talk to each other? She's, I think she's the nun who gets killed by Silas. Uh, see the fact but, that we even have this question is I mean maybe it's another nun does she talk to a different nun Sophie does of- talk to her grandma who is maybe not actually her grandma and she's like I'm your grandma so does I don't know okay <laughs> so Larissa 5656 had something to say about that okay, interaction good. Larissa says the grandmother doesn't count as a named character while book readers will recognize her as Marie Chauvel, she doesn't say this in the movie and is credited only as elegant woman at Rosslyn in the film's <laughs> credits. So I'm going to say that doesn't what? count. Wow. So, you know, there's a little and then there's a guy named Greg who mm-hmm. threw his hat into the ring and said it did pass. But OK, <laughs> this is fun. Greg says, Sophie and her grandmother have a conversation in the end. It is about giving her up to Jacques Sonnier. I don't think that is really about a man. And it's like, Greg, do you hear yourself when you talk? Um, So I'm going to say based on BechtelTest.com, I can't think of a better resource. Mm -hmm. uh, It doesn't pass. I guess that Sophie does talk to someone who identifies as her grandmother, but we only know as elegant woman at Rosslyn. Well, if we're going by my new caveat that I'm going to add into the mix from Mm -hmm. now on, which is, does the interaction between women... Is it meaningful to the story? Could it be taken out and the story would be or feel no different? And in this case... Well, you could take Sophie out of the You could take Sophie out, right? She could be... The thing is, like, ultimately, Sophie could exist in the narrative and be off screen the entire movie. Yeah. Period. Mm Mm-hmm. And that does not bode well. Like, they could be like, there's this woman named Sophie. She's Jesus's niece. I've never met her. And the movie could basically play out the same way. Yeah, more or less. Outside um, of one or two bonks on the head. <laughs> so uh, this for me is a no as far as passing the test. I'm going to say no. Um, it's also a painfully white movie. Absolutely, yes. So um, this movie sucks and I would give it, I guess like... I don't a half nipple, zero nipples. I don't know. Does it deserve anything? I'm giving it zero. I'm giving it <laughs> zero for hubris because it really thinks it's doing a lot, and it's it's just not. I I'll say I love the first and last twenty minutes of this movie are just hilarious. <laughs> they are so funny. There is so much going on. You have no idea what's going on, and it's just like happening at you, and you're like. Mm. Oh, 
like it's <laughs> it's very it's a very engaging experience because you're just like why are they yelling at me and they're, they're like I've got it moon sun star Isaac Newton like it's just it's really <laughs> funny on that like it's it's hilarious but it is it's not doing anything for Mm-mm. anybody it's just it's just a bunch of bullshit you know whatever some guy that has like a christ complex made a million dollars off of it and now we can watch his master class but it's just it's no nipples what is it what what it's like the most reductive interpretation of women period mm-hmm. that excludes a great many women it's it's like defining womanhood in a very disingenuous way which is <laughs> having a womb and being married to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? <laughs> that's that's a really weird bar to clear. Uh, well, uh, as someone who identifies as a womb first and second as Jesus is his wife, I take offense to that, Jamie. Well, honestly, you are the target demo. Uh, <laughs> it's just a disaster. Like, it, it's just it's reductive in so many ways it's ableist Mm -hmm. it's all white people really i mean it's if i had a nipple i would give it to that hilarious tom hanks moon sermons charm demon sermons monks rank rocks (laughs) madonna of the rocks da vinci that should be on the afi best movie lines list but outside of that i just i just even if this movie is attempting to and i think it is attempting to with some success in a very narrow amount of time attempting to include women at a fundamental level in christianity which is not an insignificant attempt right like that is that's not the worst thing i've ever heard of sure let's get women in there let's throw a girl boss into christianity see what (laughs) happens but but ultimately i just i'm just kind of like rolling my eyes at like how much this movie thinks it's doing versus what it's actually doing, which is being really long and boring. Mm-hmm. Zero nipples. Yes. But shout out to Alfred Molina, a character who I th- also I think could be taken out of the movie and the movie would really be not that much different, but we're so glad that he's there. Yeah. We're thrilled he's there. He's really, um, he's, I mean, he's great in the scenes he's in. I mm-hmm. don't know what he's fucking talking about. <laughs> like, Every time they brought up the name of his cult, they're like Opus Day, and I was like, "What is that? Is that like a computer?" <laughs> but it's a group. Uh, mm. I have no idea what he's talking about at any point, but I did love to see him. Yeah. So this is weird. This is like, I mean, speaking to life of a character actor, much like Alfred Molina is an iconic character actor. Sure. But he's in both movies we've covered this week. Uh, really not that much at all very minimally and pretty like kind of villainous antagonistic roles let alfred molina play the lead yeah why can't he play the lead more come on zendaya (sighs) thinks he's nice (laughs) well um tune back in at some point down the road for marchfred molina part two in which we will cover an education as well as species, I insist. I I want to see Alfred Molina have sex with an alien, so no pushback here. It's on. It's on Hulu. It's it's quite accessible. It's on Hulu. Are there ads? Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. 
Oh, I thought you were like, oh, yeah, there's a ton of ads. <laughs> there's, there's nothing but ads. <laughs> okay, I'll watch it. I'm excited. Um, but mm. I, I think as it stands, um, first of all, to everyone, for to all over 400 of you who voted for the Da Vinci Code, I hope you're happy. <laughs> I don't know what you wanted or what you expected. <laughs> we basically included the Da Vinci Chode. The Da Vinci Chode. Okay. <laughs> I've had two glasses of wine and I'm... <laughs> fucked up the division that's that's what our our reboot is called it's called the Divinci <laughs> chode oh it's, my god uh, the Divinci. <laughs> oh boy uh i would say you know i don't know what you what what this little joke was that you were playing but <laughs> yeah you're happy? pranking us it feels like the matrons are pranking us by voting for Divinchico. I think I think that the matrons historically like a movie that it seems like we'll have nothing to say about, and then we always have two hours worth of two something to say. Two or more hours worth of things to say. My little theory is people don't come to the Matreon for productive discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Sound off in the comments if you agree that this is where we <laughs> drink wine and get confused. Uh, this I yeah this movie is uh trash what I think is going to be really fun is that guaranteed like maybe if the if the world isn't burnt to a crisp in 10 years mm. um I will watch the Da Vinci Code again in 10 years and have no recollection of anything <laughs> and this is just kind of like a once a decade thing we can experience sure. um where we're like wait the Da Vinci Code is apple that's what the fuck and we can just have this I, I think in that way it was all worth it because we just get to have this gorgeous experience of realizing that the <laughs> we've been watching this long ass movie Apple. for the worst twist of all time I'm tempted to because even though I've read the book Angels and Demons I simply don't remember anything about it so now I'm tempted Nothing. to watch that movie <gasps> and just have a similar experience Angels and Demons April <gasps> they don't want it they don't want it yeah. you know what no. what if we what if we punish the mate what if we punish the matreon by being like oh you wanted the da vinci code well now well, we're, we're doing do angels and angels demons and, demons and, and inferno, inferno. <laughs> hope you thought that little joke was funny everybody <laughs> because we're never gonna stop talking about the robert langdon universe oh my god La robert langdon is the most basic name for a man there robert langton mm. oh sunny was l like just absolutely going off well um <clears throat> well thanks for tuning in matrons to alfred marchlina we, we love you we resent you for this one but <laughs> we love you um i'm gonna go guess what i'm about to do jamie read every word of angels and demons <laughs> without pee breaks <laughs> I'm going to sit in the bathtub for eight hours. I literally got sick. My mom was so mad at me. She's like, why are you sneezing? I was like, I didn't leave the bathtub until I finished the Da Vinci Code. It was like the most 2004 interaction I've ever had. That's impressive that you read it in eight hours. I don't I don't know. I think I read like I finished it. Oh, you know? I, see. I probably came in with it like whatever, a percentage of the way done oh, and, then ref and then refused to leave until i had full-on pneumonia like well i'm gonna i'm about to suffer the same fate so um but are I, you gonna, what I was are gonna, you gonna say, read it no oh 
<laughs> what I was going to say is that uh, I'm going to go eat an apple. <gasps> it, it better feel really symbolic. Mm. I want you to think of my womb when you... <laughs> <laughs> Your rosy, fleshy womb. <laughs> my rosy, fleshy, fertile Jesus womb. <laughs> Full of seeds. And then I want you to run. I want you to sprint. I don't want you to take a bus or an Uber. or I don't want you to drive. I want you to run to the Louvre and... <laughs> and kneel at the Louvre and think of my fertile womb because that is what it's all about that is the real apple the sacred feminine honestly I feel like ultimately you can get all the same story beats out of I Frankenstein and it's way more fun to watch (laughs) like the holy wars are literally it's just like the battle between demons and gargoyles it's the same it's Mm. all the same yeah and I Frankenstein's a more fun movie to watch. Justice for I Frankenstein. Fingers crossed for this year's Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, all right. I've I gotta go. I gotta go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> lie down? I don't know. It's fine. Okay. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.